I'm Kim Raycon, Marketing Associate for Harper Academic, and I'd like to welcome you to this episode of Harper Academic's podcast, Harper Academic Calling. Our podcast is designed to give educators and students, as well as every reader, a behind-the-scenes chat with a range of our authors, from well-loved favorites to up-and-coming debut writers, about their books. Harper Academic Calling, Megan Steelstra. For a special episode of Harper Academic Calling, we sat down for a Facebook Live event hosted by Book Studio 16 with Megan Steelstra, author of the essay collection, The Wrong Way to Save Your Life, which was our most requested title from August's Writing and Literature e-newsletter. What you'll hear in this podcast is our audio recording of that Facebook Live event, complete with questions from the audience who watched live. If you're a high school teacher or college professor, consider signing up for our subject-specific newsletters. To sign up, please visit harperacademic.com and select the newsletter of your subject field. Megan Steelstra's The Wrong Way to Save Your Life is available now in paperback original from Harper Perennial. Hello, Facebook, and welcome to HarperCollins Facebook Live. We are here live in Book Studio 16, and we have a very special guest with us today. We have Megan Steelstra, author of The Wrong Way to Save Your Life. And today we'll be having Kim Raycon of the Academic Marketing Department interviewing Megan for our podcast, Harper Academic Calling. So Kim, I'm going to turn it over to you. Thanks, Michael. Uh, so this is a very special episode of Harper Academic Calling. One, because we are in an actual studio. Um, we usually record uh, via the phone, so it's also nice to have our author live and in person. Mm -hmm. um, and we're usually in a little tiny room with a fuchsia top table. So this is a studio experience for everyone, so everyone sleek. to enjoy. Sleek, sleek and white, yes. Okay. Um, so Megan, let's get started talking about how mm -hmm. you got into storytelling and your work with the Second Story Storytelling Collective mm -hmm. in Chicago. Sure. Uh, so I was um, one of those, I think, special kind of geeks in high school who would cut class in order to hang out in the library. I think maybe some of you are my people with that. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I, I remember sitting on the floor of the library and, and reading Tolkien and reading Atwood and reading all these things. And, and then like the sort of like light bulb ton of bricks moment for me was uh, reading a book called Black Boy by Richard Wright. And uh, there's this moment, I think it's chapter 13, and he's, he's sitting in the library, and he's reading a novel. And so here I am, this very like, small-town, sheltered, southeast Michigan 16-year-old girl sitting on the floor reading a novel. And, you know, right, it was a black man, the book is set in the Jim Crow South, and I'm this, this very sheltered girl. And, and we're kind of having this parallel moment, right, where we're understanding people who are different than, than ourselves. And it really kind of cracked open the, the world for me. And uh, I, I went to undergraduate school because I went uh, undergraduate because I wanted to learn how to write like that. Then I went to graduate school because I wanted to learn how to teach mm -hmm. writers to to write like that. And you have to pay for all of that school somehow. So I waited tables for twelve years to pay off the loans. I worked at a restaurant called the Bongo Room in Chicago, where uh, you should all go if you haven't already been. The lines are very long, um, but totally worth it. And uh, and that place took care of me for years and years and years while I while I paid things off. But, but it was while I was there, you know, you're making mimosas, you're making Bloody Marys, and you're listening to people tell you stories. Like that's 
that's what being behind a bar is. And mm-hmm. um, and it sort of struck me at one point, like the the similarities between how people were telling me stories out loud and the kind of the unconscious techniques that we use all the time to try to grab and hold someone's attention, and the literary techniques that I was reading about in school. So you know, Joan Didion and Toni Morrison and and Kafka and, and things that they were doing on the page, and and you see how so many of those are the the same, and, and from there I started working with uh, with a Second Story. It's a, a storytelling collective, and, and at the time we were telling personal narrative stories, mostly in wine bars. Mm-hmm. Um, but now the, the company has grown significantly, and we travel around the country, and we're in classrooms and theaters and festivals and uh, all sorts of neighborhoods around around Chicago. And um, so that's the work I do now. And and a thing that I've been really grateful for is so much of the performance work that I wrote for this series has ended up. Uh, finding a home in the literary world, and mm-hmm. and so so primarily everything that I write for the page started off as something that I was going to to tell out loud, and and that process is a big part of of how I write now. I, I think to be able to experience a a personal essay live when it's just about being in the moment, you don't have to worry about your ex reading it or your dad in Alaska or your your child 10 years in the future right mm-hmm. like it's just about me and this moment and the work and and these people and uh, and and the immediate reaction for it and so i've been able to i think test out a lot of ideas and try out a lot of things and and uh, and I'm really grateful for that. That's great. Uh, for those of you that are watching on Facebook, if you have questions for myself or for Megan, please feel free to write in and ask, and Michael will jump in. Yes, uh, absolutely. We've yes, got please. About 25 people hi. watching right now. Oof. So if you're watching, say hi. Let us know where you're from. Let us know if you have any questions for hi. Megan about her book, people. about her life, about her writing, about puppies. Any yeah, we are both podcast, we are both dog lovers. Academic it's marketing true. or about it's puppies. True. They both yeah. love puppies. We both love puppies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so I'm wondering a bit about the appeal of the personal essay as a form for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to teach, before I got this job, I used to teach in first-year writing programs. Uh-huh. Um, so it was always... I see, I see all of you. <laughs> I see all of you in so first-year writing programs. It was... We'll get there. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Thank you. Um, we, um, so I, it was interesting to me reading um, a collection of essays um, personal essays that also weave in uh, critical moments as well mm-hmm. um, about whether it's campus carry laws, um, mm-hmm. the plight of contingency workers in higher ed, um, postpartum depression, all mm-hmm. kinds of things are mixed mm-hmm. in. So what what is the appeal of the personal essay for you and why that form and maybe not, or what can that form do that a, that a novel or, or a piece of poetry can't do? Sure. I... I don't know if a novel or a piece of poetry couldn't do it. Mm, I, I don't fair, know. I don't know. Fair. There, there's this line. Is something I, I, I heard John Edgar Wyman speak, and, and I, I'm going to paraphrase here, but but he said something about genre distinctions exist, so people who work in bookstores know where to <laughs> right put to, them, yeah. to put things. And yeah. I think you know some of the most profound moments of truth in literature for me have come through fiction. Mm-hmm, like sure. I, I remember having kind of this. Explosive. I, I was on the I was on the L. I, I live in Chicago, so I, so I was on the L on my way to work, and I did not want to go to work. I'm wagering a lot of people, maybe watching this, have had that moment, like, "Oh my God, for the love of God, do not, I do, do not want to go in today." And and I remember thinking, "Oh shit, like, wait, can I swear? Yeah, you swear. Fine. Okay, Let's go for um, it." Like Gregor Samson doesn't want to go to work so much so that he turned into a bug, and then I'm sitting there like, "Well, God." What could I turn into a cloud and float away? Could I turn into a unicorn and run away? like like what what could I fit like what could I physically become? Mm-hmm. Or or um 
Love in the Time of the Collar. Have you read that? Mm -hmm. There's um, uh, Fiorentino's in the market and he mm -hmm. sees the woman who's the love of his life and her new husband and he starts imagining ways that the new husband must die. Mm -hmm. and dude, I just got dumped. I just run into the the guy at a bar with his new partner and I was just like, she, she must go. She must go. <laughs> and of course, you, you know, like me looking back on 25-year-old me now, it's like, why? Why were you pissed at her and not him? Yeah. Or maybe why were you even pissed at all? Yeah. Because obviously you weren't, but, but you know, now we're, yeah. we're getting away, you know, like traveling away from the question and, and coming back. So I, I don't know. I think all of these forms can, can get at truth in a greater way. But, mm -hmm. but for me, to, to your question, and this comes back to second story, there was one uh, second story event that I curated. This is years ago. It was for the Story Week Festival of Writers in mm -hmm. Chicago. And, uh, and we were opening the festival. Second story was at Martyrs, which is a rock club in Chicago. And one of the performers that night it was Deb Lewis. Uh, I think Deb Lewis is the best writer in Chicago. I think the editor out there that is lucky enough to score her stuff um, is going to help us change the world in some sort of a way. No pressure. No, no pre pressure. No editors. pressure. No, no pressure, pressure editors. Um, but she told this story, and there were 500 people in the room that is dead silent. Like you could grab the air. And it was, a, it was about survival, the, the story. And afterwards, she was just mobbed with people who'd had that same experience. And mostly women, but lots of queer people, gender nonconforming people as well, mm -hmm. too. And, and that was sort of a moment of, you know, if all those people came to her and she had said, oh, yeah, that didn't really happen. I, I made up, like, there would have been, in, in that moment, in that setting, a, a break of trust. Mm -hmm. And... And so what I try to think about a lot is the contract with the audience. Who who is the audience and how can I be honest to them and what and 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 what why they came to this performance series or this publication mm -hmm. or this book? What, what why did they come here and how can I be honest? Yeah. How can I be honest to that? That's what's important to me. Like whether I'm writing for my own book or I'm telling a story in a bar or I'm writing for the New York Times or you know is what is the contract with the audience, and how can I, how can I hit that? Yeah. Does that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'm starting to get some comments. Okay. Um, we've got Kelly Joe says, "Hi, Megan. So glad to continue to follow your work. You inspire me." Hi. Um, Jess Hutchinson Thank you. says, "Megan, you're one of the most generous humans I know, and one of the most exciting artists." Jess was my director for Second Story one time. Ah, She's a brilliant good. director. She has a question for you. Can you talk about how generosity and art making go together for you? Great question. Um, I wouldn't begin to know how they they separate. You know, I, I the the work doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? And mm -hmm. I think again, like maybe maybe this comes from the performance background, where where your your audience is right there in front of you. The, your audience is not some unseen girl on the floor of a high school library in Southeast Michigan. Like mm -hmm. your audience is right here. So now, when I'm writing for the page, the the audience is alive for me in that in that kind of a way and and the the purpose of it is is a a sharing there there's a great essay by frank chimero um and he has this this line about i can send it to you jess but it, it's got this great line about um how w once you put the work out into the world it doesn't belong to you anymore and if it if it moves it's because someone else carried it uh and so if this book or if my work at all is going anywhere it's because other people are are carrying it and and uh that that's that's why i put it that's why i put it into the world yeah so. and and let's let's go back to the point about 
themes and ideas not being mutually exclusive because one of the things that this essay collection is about is fear yes in a lot of different guises um but fear is not separated from bravery it is not mm -hmm. separated from kindness and it is not separated from trying mm -hmm. if i had to come up with four things because i did because i did <laughs> for a marketing campaign yes, I, yeah. had to, if I had to come up with four things to talk about thank in relation you, to way, your marketing campaign um if i had to come up with four things to try and talk about this this collection those were my four okay. those were my four words yeah so why it's, were it's so great to hear, you know, like you write hundreds of thousands of words and it's so nice to hear like when people, because I don't want to, I don't want to cut all that down into four words. So thank you for doing that. Because then you can't, you need like the outside eye. Right? Yeah. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, so why, why was, why was it important for you to write about fear? Because I, that's a very difficult thing for anyone to talk about. Um, it's hard and it's scary to say I'm afraid about yeah. something, yeah, anything, sure. whatever it is. Um, so why, why choose a collection about fear? And then why can fear not be divorced from so many so many other things like kindness like bravery like um the insistence to keep trying even if you feel hopeless mm -hmm. yeah i have a okay i have a i'm gonna go over here and then bring That's it fine. back around so okay um so i i'm a teacher i work with young writers i've mm -hmm. been doing that for for 20 years now um and to to see what they do every week right like you you take your heart you put it on a piece of paper and mm -hmm. then you hand it they hand it to me, yeah. uh, and I, I and like I, I think just the teachers of the world, we have to earn that. Like we we have to like I, I, that's the thing I think about all the time. Like how can I be, how can I deserve that mm -hmm. that kind of a trust? And then after I deserve it, what how do, do I hand it back yeah, and make you, you make yeah. it better so that we can put it out into the right? right. So so there's all these different steps to the process, but. Um, but I work with these writers in Chicago. So these writers are young and female and young and queer and young and black. And they're, I mean, they're growing up in this city. And, you know, certainly there's a, a single story about my city right now mm -hmm. in, in our country. And all of their stories together push back against that single story, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm grabbing Adichie's phrase here, the danger of a single story. Like you, and so if for 20 years the, the primary thing that I've been reading is the story of these stories of, of young people that of course that's going to influence my ideas and my and my politics and, and to see how they are fighting and how they are standing up mm -hmm. um, well I better get my ass up yeah. right and so, so so when you when you have these opportunities when you are the person that someone puts in a chair and puts lights on and, and puts in front of a, a camera or puts in the paper like um, that that is the opportunity I think to to help in some sort of way. So if they're going to be this brave, I damn well better mm -hmm. earn that, and that's really important to me. And and I'm grateful. Like I know some of you are listening, so I'm I'm grateful to you for that. Um, uh, the big moment for me where where kind of all this came to the surface was I I had a little kid. He's rad. He's nine now. Um, he's at school, so he's not home watching. Please. Um, and uh, and then I was on the ground for a year or so with postpartum depression after that. And then when I came out, when I kind of started to climb out of that, um, I was really surprised by how scared I was all of the time. Mm -hmm. um, I had I had not been a person before that who uh, spent a lot of time thinking about fear, and to then sit and kind of look back on that and and realize the the privilege in that to to not have walked through the world. 
uh, in fear and, and what that meant. That that sort of made me start thinking that, that that was something about myself that I needed to interrogate, right? For the, the, the big and the small, right? Like the big postpartum depression stuff, like all the way back down to like fear of remembering things wrong or fear of having uncomfortable conversations. I, I think I think that's a I think people stay silent often because they're they we were afraid of being judged or we're afraid of saying the wrong thing or um, and I, I wonder how much further we would be in our, our cultural conversations if, if we could get rid of the fear of, of being uncomfortable mm-hmm. learning is uncomfortable and mm-hmm. we have some shit to learn uh, so 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 that that was part of it as well too and and, the, and I think for me kind of the final step was like I, I I wrote this book over the course of a year, and then I, I filed it here to, at Harper to Emily um, in June of 2016, and then I had a few months to rewrite. So I was rewriting a book about fear during the 2016 presidential campaign. Okay. Uh, and that is a whole other level of, of fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to have that moment and, and also to know that I had to turn in the final draft of this before I knew the outcome of the of mm-hmm. the election. So yeah. so that all of that was sort of tied in together. So if I had to write a, a brand new book about fear, it would look really different, different. Yeah. than than this. Yeah. For those of you just tuning in now, we are live in Book Studio 16. We have we have Megan Steelstra, author of The Wrong Way to Save Your Life, and Kim Raycon of the Academic Marketing Department is currently interviewing her live for our podcast Harper Academic Calling. Um, we're starting to get a lot of reactions to the video. We've had over 400 people viewing it so far. That's um, not scary. <laughs> we encourage anyone to it's ask fine. questions, either of Megan, of Kim, it's fine. It's fine. Um, about anything. We've got Merle Williams from Columbus, Ohio. She says hi. Um, hi. She loves hi. how your new book is kind of formatted by decade. And she wants to know, how do you mm. tap into memories when you write your essays about being a kid and a teenager? Big question. That was one of my questions. It was a version of one of my questions. So well no. done. Yes, high five. Marilyn Kim. Um, oh man, I I wish I could tie this down to one clear way. There, I so I I I kept a lot of journals um, since I was I mean since I was a, a kid. But but I think I, I I went back through all of them and can I. When you keep journals, can you please be be specific? And and I think what I mean is like, I'm 42. I just turned 42. So 42 year old me was really grateful to 16 year old and 20 year old and 25 year old and 30 year old me when I was really specific about things. Like I would, I, I remember I had this whole section that was like, I just got dumped. How am I going to make it? I loved him so much. Blah blah blah. How am I going to survive? And I, I have no idea what I was talking about. I have no <laughs> idea. So just pronouns aren't enough because you're gonna you're gonna live so much more and you're gonna fall in love a thousand times and just all these explosions will happen in your brain and then you I mean whatever he's a blip on the radar. Sidebar: If your heart is broke right now, that that might just be a blip on the radar. Like I, who knows? Who knows? All of our stories are different. Yeah. But um, I another thing that I did. I'm I'm really lucky. I have a a, a pretty big community of of people around me and and I think that there's something important in our in shared memory and and Mm -hmm. shared experience so I spent a lot of time interrogating my friends like hey do you remember when okay so we were at the blue light 
And this band was playing, and they, like, do you remember? And, and, and so kind of picking their brains. My friend Jeff is here in the studio, and I, I think I sort of drove him nuts. Like, I would text him, like, so the time when we saw the nuns, did we have eggs? Or did we not have eggs at that time? Right? And, and so I think that we can kind of help one another mm-hmm. with that. The, the Chicago Reader did this incredible thing when the, the book came out. They, they wrote to the people that I had written about in the book and asked each one of them to write 500 words oh, about what great. it was like to be written about by that's me. That's great. And what kind of things did they say? Uh, okay, first, first of all, so they, they asked, they talked to my husband, they talked to my child, okay. they talked to my dad, they talked to my realtor, <laughs> they talked to my colleagues and my, my closest friends and, and all of them have, you know, have very different um, relationships with me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, my kid said, well, that that's the one that kind of made me lose it. He he said he likes it that I write about him because it makes him know that I love him. Mm-hmm. Do you have your Kleenexes? Like, that's, <laughs> that's pretty incredible. Yeah. And then he also tried to explain how there was no right or wrong way to save your life. So maybe my title was <laughs> a little off. Um but but I think for, for the most very part, perceptive. yeah, no, it's very, it's remarkably yeah, perceptive. Yeah. Yeah. But I think for for the most part, like the the conversation got into, um, uh, do we remember our best or worst versions of our ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. and I I I write about the people who have changed my life in in some sort of a way, and and I've been really lucky that that for me that's meant change for the better. Mm-hmm. That yeah. isn't always the case. I, th- I think many times for people it's change that was very difficult or, or painful. And um, and for me it's 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 been a very fortunate and, and, and joyful thing. So um, so for me to, to write about the people that I love is is me being honest in how I see these people and, and I I see them with a great deal of love. Like I'm here because of them. Like I, I always imagine like I would kind of fly off into the air untethered up into the clouds and like far like j- just kind of float off into float the distance off, yeah. like, like I think I mean the people in my life kind of tie me down to the to the ground a little bit um so I I don't know sh- short end journals and and talking to people I, I guess is maybe the, the mm-hmm. bullet points yeah the bullet points there yeah but um but also a lot of time staring at the wall and thinking and I, I think that so often we think the writing process is is all language and sentences, but I spent a lot of time just like, huh, what does that mean? Where's my wine? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> that. I mean, that, that was a big part of it for me. Yeah, and one of one of the friends that you write about uh, in the book is your friend Dia, who has mm-hmm. um, her own essay uh, or an essay that is primarily about her and a conversation mm-hmm. that, that the two of you have often. The essay yes. in, the, in the wrong way to save your life is called "What Belongs to Us," mm-hmm. and it starts out with a really amazing question that she asks you: mm-hmm. um, "When do you think about your own privilege?" Mm-hmm. And that's such a great question for a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. Why is that question necessary, do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, so a little bit of backstory in this conversation. So so Dia, my best friend, she's a, a education director in Oakland for a, a nonprofit that does uh, justice and equity work around mm-hmm. the country. So, so she facilitates dialogue, she writes curriculum. Um, and 
we talk to three, four times a week. I mean, often when we're, we're, we're both stuck on bridges a lot, like her, she's stuck on the Bay Bridge. I guess I'm not on a bridge. I'm on Lakeshore Drive, but, you know, water there. So, okay. So Bay Bridge, Lakeshore Drive. So we're both stuck in our cars, traffic, like trying to get to our respective jobs. And so we have these conversations on, on speakerphone all of the time. And, uh, and she test drives curriculum on me. She is a woman of color. I am white. Uh, her son is black. My son is white. They are being raised as cousins. Mm-hmm. Um, and so certainly uh, I have spent a lot of time thinking about ways that she is having to raise my nephew and ways that I'm having to raise my son that are different. That mm-hmm. um, And so to, to think about my responsibility in that is 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 vital I, I, I think to, to this conversation and, and for me and things that I've learned from her and, and many other people and many other readers I, I think it's important to note that like I, I'm not the, f- the first person saying this like people of color specifically women of color specifically queer women of color have been asking this of us for, for generations and so so for me now that this is about listening mm-hmm. one and, and action two um, t- to be asking questions about privilege for me like so often it's the conversation goes to shame and for me like how can the conversation go to responsibility mm-hmm. right so how can I think about these questions as a as a parent as a teacher as somebody who gets to sit in this chair with the lights on me and, and talking to all of you right mm-hmm. like what is within my um what is in the what is within the possibility of my life and the and the work that I I do in the world because I mean it can't just be about well I I acknowledge this about myself great now what am I going to do mm-hmm. right. right so uh, so for me kind of where where it starts and where it always starts this comes right back to me in the library when I was a kid like go I think going to look at our bookshelves who's on your bookshelf does everybody look like you. So everybody the same gender, the same race, the same nationality, the uh, same sexual orientation, right? Um, so who who are we reading? Who are we taking in? The, the past 10 articles that you read on social media that, that you clicked on, who was the writer? What, what was the publication? Uh, same thing with musicians. Thing, mm-hmm. Same thing with television shows. Like the, the art that we consume and the media that we consume, um, who is making it and who is missing from your from your space? Like the, it's a It's a starting point. Yeah. Yeah, the question of inclusivity comes up in higher education, uh, in the just, essay. Did you? Can you see the little smile? I, the, because you know what? Because yeah. in my in my notes, this is my this is my podcast notebook, and I get picked on a lot for my for my notes. I have all kinds of notes. I have this is the entire oh plot God. of Sarah Perry's The Essex Serpent. So in case. organized. Yeah. Well, I I was I was, mine look. That's fine. I mean, you do you do you. That's to, that's totally fine. But I when I taught, do you use actually, a ruler? Yeah, like, I use that a ruler. is, yeah, he's a is ruler. so straight. Yeah, he's a, yeah, a ruler. I have a little plastic one at my desk. Yes, that's kind of efficiency. embarrassing, actually. But that's fine. Um, but Parker yeah, should give you a I, raise. <laughs> I um, I loved the essay a, a course of one's life mm-hmm. uh in my in my notebook the only notation other than two page numbers is a heart next to it because <laughs> i read this essay and i just for so many reasons um most of which you know aren't relevant to my life anymore because i'm doing something completely different for mm-hmm. a job but mm-hmm. this essay really was like a sp- punch in the gut for me because the whole time I was just like this is so true of so much of higher education um you talk about in this essay your job at the center for innovation in teaching and excellence Mm -hmm. um what 
I'll just start with a very general question and we can go from there. What was that experience like for you? <laughs> Musically, we have yeah, to talk yeah, about sure. the music. Um, but what was what was that experience sure. like for you? Um, okay, so the, the, just the, the context of it. So for a little, little under a decade, I, I worked in the Center for Innovation and Teaching Excellence at a college in Chicago. It's a, it's a faculty development support center. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was at the, the college where I went to graduate school, a place that entirely changed my life. I loved it. Loved, 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 loved it. And uh, and I loved this job. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Like, I I got to sit with teachers all day long and brainstorm ways to, to better serve our students and better connect with the students, right? I don't, I don't know. If, if, uh, I, I read a lot of bell hooks, and mm-hmm. in her text, Teaching to Transgress, she talks yeah, about that. Yeah, the, yeah, the classroom is a radical space of possibility. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just to think about what that can be, like, yeah. like what what can a classroom space become? I, I think so often in in college, we you know we, we have these teachers who are, have so much expertise in their chosen field, but not always a lot of support in how to teach that. And so to be able to to be a part of those conversations mm-hmm. and and to try out activities and to try out curriculum that people were doing to to kind of like operate like a like a think tank or yeah. a, or an educational lab, like like the the way that I would always talk about it is. You know, in my creative nonfiction classes, you know, it's once a week, four hours, where you're just thinking about the work that you make in the world. And what a what a gift that is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, our lives are wild. We're running around. We're dealing with commutes. There's social media. We're working these jobs. We're trying to fall in love. Like, there's all of this noise. Like, and I don't mean noise like pejoratively. Like, like important things happening, and to just be able to shut it out for four hours once a week and think about. The art that you want to make, I, I think, is an, an, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to make a space like that for teachers, mm-hmm. okay, like for this hour or two hours or eight-hour retreat, like this is a space where we can really think about what can happen in a classroom. Yeah. Especially, but you know, and I think that teachers listening to this, like, like typically, you have to do a three-day faculty development retreat. You yeah. know, you're. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking of that GIF of the the baby that's like run and then you see the baby running you know it's like run um but so so to try to think about how those can be of use Mm -hmm. and also like fun Mm -hmm. i I mean like that and and so so to have that opportunity and and very specifically my job had to do with uh supporting teachers in creating inclusive classroom spaces Mm -hmm. yeah um, which means a great deal to me yeah uh but then during the the last couple of years that I was there, there were a lot of uh, administrative changes at the college, and then the, the college started to change. And um, and so I started running a lot of CV workshops. They wanted me to, to run CV, CV workshops, teaching philosophies, um, cover letters, mm-hmm. academic job search stuff, because there, there were a lot of faculty leaving. And um, uh, anybody need help with a CV? Like, I know, like I know... <laughs> I know how to do all that stuff really well, and um, so that the essay itself, a uh, uh, curriculum vitae in Latin means a course of one's life. So, mm-hmm. so the last two years that I was there, and and the place that I loved very much was was changing, and I was spending a lot of time helping teachers try to make their lives look like it meant something on a piece Marketable. of yeah. paper, yeah. which was. Understandably important, but also heartbreaking in, in a lot of ways. So, mm-hmm. 
so that's what the essay covered. Yeah. Did I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, yeah. I, did you even ask me a question? Did yeah. I? <laughs> yes, I asked you a general okay, question. But the so music, you, yeah. Yeah, the music, the music. Yeah. Yeah, because things, when administration was changing and implementing changes, um, as someone who was a teacher in higher education and who mm-hmm. was a, a contingent laborer uh, mm-hmm. in that, I was an adjunct for, for a while, um, you write in your essay about uh, your CV workshops, you say, I poured over their documents looking for places I could help. If we move this award higher, will that get your foot in the door? If you list your teaching credentials on page three instead of page six, will your job be protected? If you change your second reference, will you be able to feed your kids? Mm-hmm. And for me, that was, I underlined with the ruler to keep it neat. <laughs> but uh, for me, that was one of the that was one of the things that really struck me because I sat through how many CV workshops mm-hmm. trying to figure out sort of um, the format puzzle in a way of what's uh-huh. going to get me past the person who's going to be deluged with these documents, mm-hmm. what's going to make me look interesting to that person that's not the other hundred and some people in the pile. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an anxiety. It creates an anxiety and creates a, a fear of am I enough? I mean, that was one of the questions Mm -hmm. that I personally, when I was doing that, that I personally struggled with a lot is, am I going to be enough? How do I make myself appear enough Mm -hmm. to this sort of outline, outline of a person? Mm -hmm. And as you were going through that, of course, you dealt with hundreds of faculty um, Mm -hmm. over the course of your career. And you had to eventually come up with a coping mechanism to yeah. help you get through those days. So tell mm-hmm. us about that yeah. that coping mechanism. Yeah, I yeah, the, controlling your face, yeah, right? Yeah, the, it, yeah, 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 it started, you know, there, there's a there's a fair amount of bureaucracy mm-hmm. in in higher ed and 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 that can get frustrating at, at different times and um but I believed in the work that I was doing and I believed in the people that I was working with mm-hmm. and I believed in the teachers I was working for and the students we were trying to serve. Mm-hmm. So whatever you deal with the bureaucracy every right. job has crap yeah right like working at the bonga room like i don't know cleaning the bathrooms yeah. was not the most yeah. fun right? yeah okay yeah um anyhow uh so it's not about the the less exciting parts of the work right but um but but i think my boss who is a a, a dear friend of mine mm-hmm. um and th- that kind of brought up some some other levels of complication that, that he and I had to navigate because in the end he had to fire me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, we got real drunk. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, I, he, so he, he was trying to teach me how to control my face. I am a, I, I am a real bad poker player. Like, you know, I mean, I'm very, mm-hmm. like, he, it is what it is. Yeah. And so I would. I got myself into some trouble where I, um, it, it was very clear in my words and in my gestures what I thought of some of the things that that were happening. Yeah, uh, which was not always the way to go. Right. Right. In in, in, in any institution or just yeah. in life in general. Yeah. Right. The art of diplomacy. Um, right. And so he and I would brainstorm. You know, and I talked to lots of different people. Like, how do you how do you just keep your face like? How do you do, how do you do that Facebook Live right yeah. how and so 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 we would kind of experiment with different things and then I started and then I would I would like play songs in my like I would imagine that my head was a, like a turntable or a a jukebox and and so sometimes like people would talk to me and then in my head like I would 
I would play, like the one I really remember is this administrator talking to me and I was playing that track Troy by mm-hmm. Sinead O'Connor and there's this part where she goes, I kill a dragon for you! And she just screams it and I and I just listened to this person and I played that song on repeat. And, um, but then eventually like it gets it gets to a point where it can't just be in your head anymore. Mm-hmm. And where I ran into some problems with that and maybe some of you are aware of this, I was in a cubicle. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And when you're in a cubicle you can't cry well when yeah. when you're a woman in academia you can't cry. i mean you can't your your emotional you're discouraged from emotional response discour- yeah, yeah yeah emotional response mm-hmm. emotional labor all of it is set to the side and um um interestingly as i say that out loud i'm i'm in a academic position right now at another school and uh and my emotional response is is encouraged and encouraged and supported and and listened to which mm-hmm. is incredible and I'm grateful for yeah. that and so I, I don't mean to sit here at this table and bash administration by no. by any means I've been really fortunate to work with many people who've who've given me the spaces that I, I need to be in and I want to acknowledge the mm-hmm. the work that they do but in this particular instance um uh I didn't have anywhere to freak out because yeah. I was at a cubicle so anyway it's it's in Chicago it's a uh High-rise. High-rise campus, right? That's college, uh, urban campus. So I would go in elevators, and I would ride elevators up and down, and then I would I would yell and, like, yell song lyrics. And, and then I would go, and then I kind of marked it on Twitter, and I would be like, today on today's work-induced rage song in the elevator is Blah 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 by Joan Jett. And then I, and you know, and, like, yeah. slowly I started just kind of, like, marking it through on Twitter and... And then people started to respond to that a little bit, or mm-hmm. sometimes like, or I would write on Twitter, "Real pissed off today." Vague book, you know, like, and then someone would say, "What song are you singing in the elevator?" Yeah, right. And then I, so when I was writing the essay, like to just chart how the music helped me mm-hmm. at the same time that I was sitting with the form of the CV yeah. was how I got at that. And the first several drafts of this essay, and Emily were. I point as though she's around. So Emily, my editor here. She's always around. Right? right? She's, she's, always, she's always around. Yeah. Um, she saw some early drafts of this. And it was just a mess because I was straight up trying to put this essay in the form of a CV. Okay. Which That would have been really interesting. Which is interesting, in way, but, but also how. But it, it wasn't, that form didn't serve what I wanted to say. Yeah. And I, I still want to do something in that form, but what I wanted to say in this was about the culture of fear in academia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and so, instead, I took the form of a CV workshop, right? So mm-hmm. the um, so there's a like there's a real time me doing a CV workshop cut with kind of the the overall narrative. Yeah, and if you if you have this. ever sat through a CV workshop, um, you should definitely read the essay. I mean, it's 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 incredible. It was thank you. It was it was really it was probably my my favorite other than when I got to the one where you admitted your love for dogs because that we are very much kindred yeah, kindred yeah. spirits yeah, in yeah, that yeah. um So Megan, we've got um, yeah. we have a ton of people watching right now, but we have one hi, hi. particularly special watcher um your cousin Aaron says hi. Hi. Uh, he says you look great and he wants to know Thank you cuz you know I'm freaked out about that <laughs> right now. You know. And he wants to know if you could add one essay to this collection post the 2016 election, what would the title of that essay be? Ooh. Ah. Uh, 
what the fuck of phobia? <laughs> um, what <laughs> I don't that that's just kind of what what comes out right now. I, you know, I, I think so much of what I so much of what I'm writing about all of this right now. Mm-hmm. And, and f- okay, for me, there is a difference between the practice of writing and the choice of if and when and how to share it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I try to write every day. And that doesn't mean I'm going to show even a small part of that right. out to the, the world. Um, but so much of what this is right now is just like all caps freaking out. Like it's the kind like Aaron and Aaron and I drink martinis. It would be it, it would be like like when we you know, when we drink. He grew up in Alaska. So when we you know, when we're in Alaska and then we drink the martinis because, oh, my God, nature and and it's just that it's just that kind of screaming and so what i'm trying to be intentional about right now is to take some of that out okay yeah and really slow down and think about what i want to say and mm-hmm. i think that that's the thing that that's that i'm thinking about a lot right now and i think many of us are with this kind of outrage cycle that we're in right now where there's so many terrifying things happening every day every day mm-hmm. um and i and it it should come as no surprise we were shown who he is, yeah, and now we have it. Yeah. So here we what? are. Yeah. So it's not about surprise, but I mean, uh, I would say fear, and mm-hmm. then I mean, and then where I try to come back to is okay, responsibility. What are things that I can do? And and to make an essay is a thing that I can do. Mm-hmm. To talk to my kid is a thing that I can do. Figuring out how I teach is a thing that I can do. Putting my body in the street is a thing that I can right. Like what are again coming back to the action of it. Um, but I, I'm trying to be really intentional about where I can be of use in the dialogue that, that we're happening, mm-hmm. that, 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 that's happening right now. So, so one, one example of this is, um, in all the kind of screaming that I was doing over here in the work, um, a few months ago, uh, it came out that the, the current administration might get rid of the birth control mandate that that's mm-hmm. in the, the ACA, which, uh, requires health insurance companies to to cover birth control. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it came out that 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 mandate was going to be taken away, I that was sort of a moment where I was like, okay, th- this is a place where I can enter this. St- this is a place where I have a contribution. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- I, again, like, wh- when do I need to listen and when do I need to talk? Mm-hmm. What's the? It's a three part thing. It's does this need to be said? Does this need to be said by me? Does this need to be said by me right now? Yes. Right. So so th- this was a point three. Right. And so because the, the day after the election, I called my doctor and asked if I could have my IUD replaced three years early because I was afraid of what was going to. Well, I mean, frankly, thinking about what was going to happen to healthcare in general, yeah. general, let alone women's health care, made me want to set myself on fire. So uh, so I got it replaced early. And just the, the hoops that I had, just the, the whole the whole the whole what the fuck. And so, so that so that was a piece that like I felt like taking it out of the mess, and I need to do the work of making something for other people mm-hmm. now. So, um, is your next writing project going to be another essay collection? Do you think? Uh, I'm working on two things right now, and so one is an essay collection, and okay. then um, and then also I'm working on a novel, and, ah, and it is fiction. it is very weird. It's nice it's nice to be back in fiction. It's nice to um, 
I, I was getting a little sick of myself. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was getting a little. I turned this book in, and I, t- I texted my friend Jeff, and I was like, done, never, never again. I'm only writing about zombies and dragons from now on. Um, and then and then my kid and I went to vote. <laughs> and then I, you know, it. I wrote, I worked on this book for a year and then I rewrote it over several months and then I turned it in November 1st and then we went to early vote and then I sat down and I wrote an essay about my anxiety about the election in a night. Okay. In one night. Like, after I said I would never write about myself again. Right, there you go. Um, and then I was really lucky the BuzzFeed reader put that up the day before the election and I, I'm so grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, for all sorts of different reasons, um, but also because it, it reminded me very, very quickly. Well, I mean, first of all, I love what they're doing at, mm-hmm. at Reader. Uh, and my editor there was just a, a dream. And, and I, I, I actually I teach off of Reader right now at, at Northwestern. I think just the personal essays coming out of there are incredible. And so I was really happy to, to be a part of that. But, the, um, but to be able to have the opportunity to write again quickly an immediate response to things that were happening in the world. To, to remind myself that I could do that and that I want to do that and that I am I am a part of this. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go hide under the bed because I'm afraid of what's happening in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was important for me to remember and to remember right away. Yeah, right? accountability. Yeah, right it's up, it's yeah. like it's like the thing where you know you you get attacked by bees. Well, you should go right back into the bees the next day. Yeah. Is that an actual yeah. thing, or did I just make that? I, like, that's a thing? Yeah. Like, a get back into it, Definitely tiger. Into it. You know that. Fall off the horse, get trip back That's on. it. That's right? it. Yeah. It's, a, it's horse. Horse, it's horses, not bees. Not bees. Not bees. Um, it's yeah. not bees. <laughs> not bees. Yeah. That's all right. Yeah. We can make one about bees. New essay. Write that down. Yeah. Bees. <laughs> bees. So I just have one last question for you, and it's a sure. question that we ask all of our guests on okay. our podcast. Okay. Okay. Who was your favorite teacher um i have to preface this by saying i've had so many incredible teachers mm-hmm. both in the classroom and outside of the classroom right so so this is a and i also want to say that in working in the center for innovation and teaching excellence like that that's a question that we always asked who is your favorite teacher why what are the values behind what they're doing mm-hmm. how can you do how that you in your class yeah. in your one mm-hmm. right so so this is like this is this ain't a one-off for me. This okay. is like a, um, but no, my my favorite teacher was my graduate thesis advisor. His name is Randall Albers. Okay, um, and it it's strange to even think about him now as my teacher because he has been my my mentor. He's been my boss. He's been he's now my my dear friend. Mm-hmm. Um, he gave a toast at my wedding. Uh, he is the first person to show me that my work had value and to challenge me to make it better in the same moment. And I think about that teaching all of the time, right? Like it comes back to a, I'm going to earn this trust and I'm going to challenge you to make that. But like that, mm-hmm. that's who, that's who he was to me. And, and not just with my writing, but also with my teaching and with my parenting and with my friendships and mm-hmm. I think with the human being that I am and, and how I walk through the world. So um, so even talking about him as a teacher is less 
my long ago experience with him in front of my classroom and more about how he uh, teaches me about how I would like to live. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's thank really you. great. Well, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. Um, we have The Wrong Way to Save Your Life. It is out now from the Darlings at Harper Perennial, hence the olive in the background. You see this cover? Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful, bright, Joanne bright O'Neill cover. She's so great. Um, so, Megan, thanks so much for joining us. Everyone on Facebook Live, thank you for joining us. Thank Michael, you. thank you for your help. Of course, thank, thank you, you guys Michael. for having this lovely conversation. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. Um, if you would like to hear the final edit of this podcast, if you want to hear any of the other podcasts we have at Harper Academic, go to SoundCloud or iTunes, look for Harper Academic Calling, and subscribe to us, follow us. You can also find it on harperacademic.com. There's a link to our podcast, so definitely check that out you're interested in this interview and want to hear some others and again thank you so much everybody for joining us and have a great day and definitely check out the wrong way to save your life